There's a big story at sportsillustrated.com about Ryan Shazier and how the Steelers want to win the Super Bowl for him. Uh, there's a bunch of quotes from Mike Mitchell. Quote, we're going to play the Patriots again. We could play them in hell. We could play them in Haiti. We could play them in New England. We're going to win. And then Mitchell lays out his dream scenario. The Steelers reach the Super Bowl. Shazier makes an appearance. And Pittsburgh triumphs. I again quote Mitchell. It's destiny. I'm praying every day that he won't be in a wheelchair. That he'll be on the sideline. And run up and celebrate it with us. There's going to be hella people crying when it happens. Unquote. Now that's a wonderful story. I appreciate the sentiment. And you take motivation wherever you can find it. But let me offer one very important disclaimer. The New England Patriots don't care. The Jacksonville Jaguars don't care. You say stuff like that and you get shivers and chills. But the Patriots and Jaguars do not care. This is the Mark Madden Show. You like it, you love it, you want more of it. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Or you can follow me on Twitter, at MarkMaddenX. Don't forget, big announcement about my multimedia endeavors coming up at 315. I'm getting bigger. I'm getting bolder. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. And I'm getting even richer. Woo! Uh, Which is worse for Atlanta and the surrounding areas? The Falcons blow a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl? Or Georgia blows a 13-point lead in the national championship game against Alabama last night? Ouch! I watched the second half, and boy, talk about drama. Saban, the coach, Alabama... He benches his number one quarterback, kid with a 24-2 record going into the game. And this Tua kid comes in, true freshman. He wins it. A 41-yard touchdown pass in overtime after a sack made it second and 26. You got to give the Alabama starting quarterback credit, uh, Jalen Hurts. He didn't throw his silver medal into the stands. Did some interviews afterward, handled the situation as well as could possibly be expected. Uh, what a game. I just take that Alabama won on the do-over. To me, they were worthy winners last night to be sure, but they are not worthy national champions. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Got a lot of Steeler talk on tap for today. We got Stan Savard at 4.30. Tim Benz before that, he joins me at the bottom of this hour. Andy Benoit, our buddy from SI.com and the Monday Morning Quarterback website, he picks the Steelers to win, but he thinks that the battle between the Steelers' offense and the Jacksonville defense is a push, a dead heat. If that's true, 
That game could go either way this coming Sunday at Heinz Field. I want to talk about the Penguins, too. Yesterday, we discussed the Penguins' manufactured balance up front. Sullivan dividing uh, the three stars, Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel, on the three separate lines, and trying to almost force scoring balance, even though there's a lot of flaws in that, which I'll get to in a second. But like anything else, the proof's in the pudding. The Penguins have 10 goals in their last two games. That includes six goals, five on five, and that's valuable currency for the Penguins right now. But when they get a third-line center, I put Gensel with Sid and Sprong, and I put Kessel back with Gino. I understand what Sullivan is trying to do with the balance, but I just don't think it's going to work. People keep talking about HBK from two years ago because everybody bought a T-shirt. But last year, the third line one is good. Malkin played with Kessel, and the Penguins won the Stanley Cup anyway. Boy, Gensel, Sprong, and Crosby could be a great line. So that's what I would do, but whatever works. Uh, I'd like Cole in on defense, and not Hunwick, or maybe Ditch Alexiak. But that doesn't outrage me like it does some of you. Hunwick has been real disappointing. Alexiak has actually had his moments. One thing you've got to understand is players can get better and players can get worse. Two years ago with HBK, Haglund had 14 goals in the regular season and six in the playoffs. But now, over this season and last season, including playoffs, Haglund has 10 goals in his last 109 games. He's not the same player. Haglund isn't slumping. He's stopped scoring. Uh, the Penguins have won three of their last four. And why is pretty simple. I don't believe it has a lot to do with line combinations. It has a lot to do with, in those four games, Crosby has eight points. Gino has six points, and Kessel has five points. That's a lot more important than bottom six production and who the number five defenseman is. Uh, you know what's kind of amusing? Is the Washington Capitals are on top of the division and on the periphery of the President's Trophy race. The Caps lost some key players in the offseason and were supposed to take a step back. But now... Same as it ever was. Excellence in the regular season. They've won their last four in a row as well. The big reason the Caps are playing at a pace just slightly removed from last year's is Alex Ovechkin. 27 goals this year. That's after 33 all of last year, and only 16 of those last year were at even strength. It would be nuts if the Penguins got a wild card and played Washington or Tampa Bay in the first round. That would be the hype series. Mega, mega hype. Uh, I keep seeing, and honestly, I keep saying, there's no way Bortles can beat the Steelers twice in one year. There's no way Bortles can beat Roethlisberger twice in one year. 
There's no way Bortles can defeat the Steelers in a playoff game. Well, Tim Tebow beat the Steelers in a playoff game in 2012 at the end of the 2011 season. So never say never because Tim Tebow makes Blake Bortles look like Johnny Lujak dipped in Terry Bradshaw with a side of Joe Montana. Up next, my big announcement. Can anyone guess what it is? I put that up for grabs on the Twitter thing a bit ago, and, and nobody has so far. If you'd like to take a shot, do so now, at Mark X. But it's exciting. Somebody in Pittsburgh say something about getting fired up. 105.9 X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Ben, 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 Are you speaking from the inside of an electric razor? <laughs> yeah. Luke, I am your father. The X at 105.9. I have exciting career news that further upgrades my status as a one-man sports media conglomerate. As of today, I am writing sports columns for Trib Total Media. You can read them in the print edition of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review or online at triplive.com. My debut column tomorrow talks about the attempt of Penguins coach Mike Sullivan to achieve balance by putting Sid, Gino, and Phil on separate lines and why I don't think it's going to work in the long run. But what's more important here is me, the king of sports radio. And now I put the total in Trib Total Media because I am the total package. Charisma, IQ, writing ability that is fairly Shakespearean, better looking than 10 movie stars, and now a great platform in Trib Total Media. That's today, and moving forward, for me, Mark Madden, super genius, I accept your congratulations because I know all of you just can't get Enough of me. Woo! 412-333-9939, the number to call. Uh, John Gruden actually got a better deal than I did. Uh, Ten years, $100 million. That's been confirmed. He was just introduced. That's far too much, far too long. They will regret it. But right now, well, right now it gets buzz going. And with a, not a new franchise, but the team moving to Las Vegas, in the not-too-distant future. I can't say Gruden's a bad hire. He's going to get the hype going, that's for sure. But he hasn't coached in the league since 08. I just, I am not optimistic that he's going to be what they want him to be. Not at that price, especially. As mentioned earlier, Andy Benoit uh, of SportsIllustrated.com, also the Monday Morning Quarterback website, he rates the battle on Sunday between the Steelers offense and the Jacksonville defense as a push, and did he? Although he does pick the Steelers to win the game, he has some real good material about uh, how Jacksonville will approach Antonio Brown, and Andy points out that 
Jacksonville mostly plays cover three and even cover four. Very basic, very straightforward. Here's what we do, and let's see if you can beat it. But in week five, and probably again this coming Sunday, uh, they play a lot of man, especially Jalen Ramsey against Antonio Brown. Then again, sometimes in week five, Ramsey played solo coverage away from Brown, and A.J. Boyer got some help from a safety and double-team Brown. I wonder what Jacksonville thinks Pittsburgh's primary weapon is, what the Jags most need to stop in this game Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about that at length with Tim Benz, who's going to join me in studio in just a few minutes. Uh, Andy rates the Steelers' defense as having an edge against the Jags' offense. He thinks that with Shazier out, that Hargrave Tewitt and Hayward could make plays in the backfield and eventually force Jacksonville to lead on Bortles more than they will want to. And he makes one really good point about Leonard Fournette potentially having a big game against Pittsburgh. Even though Jacksonville has the league's number one rushing attack, it's not necessarily a great offensive line. you think it would be, but it's not. And Andy figures that Hargrave Tewitt and Cam Hayward could handle those guys and give the Steelers an edge when Jacksonville has the ball. A very interesting game. And as I've been saying since I went on the air yesterday, we will find a way to worry ourselves into thinking Jacksonville maybe not should win, but could win. At the end of the day, though, you got to like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's go to Rick and Katanning. Rick, you're on with the Super Genius. Hey, Mark. Uh, yeah, I saw on uh, ESPN a Yager once out of Calgary. Yeah, they're not bringing Yager to Pittsburgh. Okay? No, no, no. They're not bringing Yager to Pittsburgh. If you were here, I would pull your Yager jersey over your head and punch in the melon. Third or fourth. They're not bringing Yager to Pittsburgh. Okay? They're not bringing Yager to Pittsburgh. I want to hear you say it. They're not bringing Yager to Pittsburgh. Go ahead and say it. Fourth-line winger. They said it'd be a good fit. The girl wrote the article. You know what? I would like to yank your tongue out of your mouth and hang you with it, like with a noose. Goodbye. Like, Yarmory Yager wants to be a fourth-line winger. Like he wants to humble himself here in Pittsburgh, where we booed him every time he touched the puck for how many years? Let's go. Here's another Yager caller. God, I hate each and every one of you. Let's go to the diplomat. Diplomat. I bet I bet I could shorten that to dip something else before this is <laughs> over. What do you want? Well, hey, ESPN and all the major hockey writers are talking about it. So yeah, I know oh, okay, you know it, what? They can talk about all they want, you piece of trash, you moron, you idiot, you scum-sucking dog who called up and discussed exactly what I told you not to. They're not bringing it back, okay? Jim Rutherford has no interest whatsoever in bringing Yarmer Yager back. That might be fanciful thinking on the part of some media know-nothings. He's not coming back. Goodbye. Tim Ben's up next, 105.9. And 
now the super genius, Mark Madden. Yeah, hi, Mark. Hi. First day, I love your show. I just talked to David Lee Roth. He said, somebody get me a doctor. VX at 105.9. Somebody get me a shot. Joining me now in studio, also of the Trib Total Media sports family, you hear him on Steeler Radio Network, he is Tim Benz. Tim, uh, in your latest column, you said you're tired of hearing the pens are tired. But what if they're really, really tired? Well, I'm sure they are tired. And first of all, Mark, congratulations on joining the Trip Total Media family. I'm dying to read your first column on Yager coming to Pittsburgh. That's going to be a bombshell. That's not what it's about. Um, I'm sure they're tired, but that can't be a catch-all explanation for why they're 500 right now. That can't be a catch-all explanation as to why they're barely in the playoff race right now. If it is, then one week away from hockey ain't going to fix that because they've had two separate two-and-a-half-month stretches over the last two cup runs to get over being tired. If that's the only reason we're going to use when they win, then why do we talk about what they do right when they are victorious as opposed to when they lose, and what are we going to talk about for the second half of the season? Yeah, I mean, I see your point, and nobody likes excuses when you just won two championships, but but they are exhausted. I mean, I feel you, but it, it is a legitimately big factor. Uh, winning once and coming back is one thing. Winning twice and having those two abbreviated off seasons, that that takes its toll. And having a target on your back and getting every other team's best effort every night, that takes its toll too. Didn't the exhaustion fail to manifest until the Montreal series in 2010? And didn't the exhaustion, if it at all manifested, manifested against the Islanders in '93? I, I don't think it ever manifested in '93. They just played poorly in '93. Then I think that was just a very special team. Uh, I think it could come and go, and I'm hoping it goes. That's why I'm not can it go though. See, like, I think if it's exhaustion, that's not something that goes away well, until think, you have a I, long off season. I think the mental part can can dissipate when the more challenging games are within sight, the more meaningful rather games are within sight. I think that's what Sid was alluding to yesterday when I asked him about that. He said that you know maybe it's time now for us to understand that we've put ourselves in a position where we can't use that as an excuse, and we have to tap into something to get over the mental exhaustion. So there might be something to it. I just can't well, use no, it no, as a Tim, catch-all. You, you've got to agree that winning two cups in a row is a unique burden. Sure it is. But it can't be something that you use as the entirety of the argument as to why they're not playing well. I just think that's lazy and convenient. I think that... Oh, no, I think they have a lot of guys who stink as well. Yeah, you know, Sid's 31st in goal scoring. Um, you know, Gino's what, 20th right now? Because the puck just got tired of him shooting it in the net, Tim. <laughs> Well, that, and you know, Latang hasn't been as good as he normally is. Uh, you know, Schultz has been hurt. Daly's gone. Guys, uh, Tim, a lot of those guys are coming on a bit, aren't they? I mean, they've won three out of four. Are you seeing some signs of life? I think Sid and Gino have shown a lot of signs of life, yes. Um, I'm not quite as sure about Latang. He's done better the last, I'd say, what would you say, two, three games maybe? Uh, I want to see them be able to string together a winning streak, though, in a weird way for as much as we're talking about their exhaustion and this break now coming at a time where it might be fantastic. They played pretty two, two pretty good games in a row before they got here. The best thing they could do is win about five or six in a row and give themselves some breathing room. Not that they would relax. But the mental exhaustion we're talking about, you could catch up a bit in that regard. You could also argue, and I don't think this has to do with exhaustion, because especially Murray hasn't played a whole season during either of these playoff runs, um, and Jari is brand new. The goaltending hasn't been as good as it was last year, correct? That doesn't have to do with exhaustion. Oh, I agree. And I don't think the roster's as good. That has nothing to do with exhaustion. But I don't, I don't think people are calling the exhaustion factor the primary reason. Are you? Uh, I think it's right up there. 
See, I think the roster construction, replacing guys who are gone, and some of the failures of the Stars to be as good as last year, combined with the goaltending being... Well, well, Tim, that's the big thing. I mean, Sid has eight points in the Penguins' last four games, and they've won three of those. Yeah, if that tilts, stars, different story. I think the Stars need to play up to their potential, and they need to produce up to the bar they previously set. And I think that, more than anything, has been a factor. Uh as you're aware, my first column for the Trib is not about Yager potentially well, it coming should be, to Pittsburgh. Because it's going to happen. It, it is not. It will not. Um, but I don't think they can create this false balance over the long haul. I don't think they can divide up Kessel, Sid, and Gino with the personnel they have. What, what's your take on that? Should they uh, put Kessel, Gino, and Sid on separate lines? Or should they travel the path they did last year where they... Kind of bunched everybody up in the top six. Right now, I prefer to see Kessel stay with Malkin because I don't think they have the third line to support what they had or to mimic what they had in 2016. Haglin isn't playing as well. They don't have a third-line center that's akin to what Benino was in that year, at least the second half of that year. Gensel is trying to figure out center at the NHL level on the fly. Now, there's another reason that I would say isn't necessarily exhaustion. He's just in a sophomore slump for some reason or another. Yeah. Until they find that third-line center, uh, I think, to your point, you're trying a little too hard to recreate something that isn't there roster-wise. They had the roster fits to make that a strategical advantage, but I don't think the roster fits are there to make that happen now. Well, I think once Rutherford trades for another center, which is inevitable, that's the one move I think they will make. Although Rutherford said today that he doesn't think a move would solve the problems they have, which I've been saying for weeks, but if they go get another center... I think then Gensel jumps up with Sid and Sprong, and Kessel moves back with Malkin, and you de-emphasize that balance in favor of uh, hoping those two lines can really catch fire. I think, a th- and, and the potential, obviously, is always there with talent like that. That third-line center, in my opinion, is somebody that has to be off the page a bit, right? It can't be just, hey, a really good team is trying to get something back for a third-line center because they've got depth there, because what do you then have to give up? A defenseman. They don't have a defenseman to give up at this point with Daly gone, with Schultz barely coming back from injury. Latang, you know, right now. Well, is, they, they would give up Cole. Does Cole yield you a third line? If he does, something else like from your Cole prospect. Cole a draft pick might yeah, yield sig- you pretty close to that guy, or maybe not. But a significant draft pick, then. You know, you know they really like Shane. Who does? They do? Yes. So what, wheel him out with Cole and get something back in return? Or no, 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 no. They, they might think he can be the third center. Oh, when all said and done. I like him as a fourth-line center more than a third-line guy. I, I Especially too. if you're trying to have somebody set up Kessel or be you know, a pair for Kessel. I don't think that's Shane. We're talking to Tim Benz here on the X. Tim, I want to move to the Steelers. Give me a worst-case scenario that is also logical. How can Jacksonville beat Pittsburgh? Uh, that's a good question. I actually, I'm writing that for the Trib tomorrow. Uh, so- no, you're not. You're writing Yager. Uh, I think it's going to be a 23-17 game. Steelers win the way... It stays close, or the way Jacksonville gets over the hump is, well, a lot of people are saying 30 to 9, that's never going to happen again. Well, no, it's not going to happen. Ben's not going to throw five picks again, but he might throw two. Leonard Fournette's not going to run for 180, but he might run for 110. Uh, Lev Bell's not going to get only 47 yards, but he might not, might not get 100. You know, and Bortles, he just won throwing for 87 yards like he won throwing for 95 yards against Pittsburgh. And he ran for, what, 86 in the wild card game? Yeah, it was 88 and 87. You know what I love? My favorite play of that game was when he fumbled a snap, fell down, you know, while getting it, got up, 
just happening to face in a direction where no one was standing in front of him. Right. Not like, what, eight or nine yards and a first down. That's how he advanced and Mariota advanced because he caught his own pass. There that's, you go. That's those two quarterbacks. So I guess that's the answer to your question, Mark, is that while the numbers are so skewed to the fact that the Jaguars won by 21, if you kind of go by what the norm of their numbers are, that's a one-possession game. And that's where I think Jacksonville could win. I don't think they will, but that's how it could happen. Well, here's my scenario. Ramsey shuts down Antonio Brown and Fournette. Uh, not runs wild, necessarily, but but gives them some long drives where they control the game, the clock, and the score. And uh, that logic isn't so far-fetched, is it? No, it isn't. Um, now, to play devil's advocate with our own point here, the way that the Steelers could swing it so that it's 30-9 to in the other direction is if they actually create a few turnovers, which they didn't do against Jacksonville, which they can. Bortles threw five picks in the last two weeks. No team aside from Tennessee that made the playoffs committed as many turnovers as Jacksonville did in the regular season. The Steelers should get a few back themselves. And if they do, then I think they can pad their lead a little bit. Tim, what's the state of the Steelers' defense? It's obviously improved. Is it good enough to win a Super Bowl, especially without Ryan Shazier in the middle? I think it's good enough to win on Sunday. I don't think it's good enough to win a Super Bowl because I don't think it's good enough to beat New England. Um, if they were to somehow get by New England because Brady gets hurt or some fluky scenario happens, they just outscore the Patriots in Foxborough. Uh, ask me again, depending on who they face in the Super Bowl. If it's Nick Foles or Case Keenum, I'm going to say yes, it's good enough. If it's Drew Brees, I don't think it will be. Yeah, um, I just fear Shazier being out. I just think Vince Williams has to do too much and play too many snaps. And Fournette is going to run right where Shazier used to be. I think that's a big a big potential pitfall. And I don't think it'll be enough for Jacksonville to beat him. But I just don't think, again, that yeah. he is good enough to beat New England. No, I'm with you on that. Now I know, Tim, because they haven't. They haven't, right. And this game against Jacksonville, I don't think Shazier would be missed a ton except for maybe Bortles scrambling, because I think Bortles would be a lot less uh, prone to run over the middle of the field knowing that Shazier's there to take him out. Now, that game against Jacksonville, part of the reason Fournette ran as wild as he did was, you know, the Steelers had their usual propensity to overcommit the holes. Uh, you know, th that stretch play, getting too aggressive, opening up holes in the backside. Uh, Shazier sometimes is prone to that. So if they do that again, I don't think Shazier being absent is going to hurt all that much. His absence would hurt, I think, in helping to spy and contain on Bortles. Does the Week 5 game have any impact on this one? Listening to Tomlin, he said no, and I tend to believe that. Because like we just outlined before, I think there were some fluky in-game variables that swung the game uh, so much in favor of Jacksonville. I think if they play straight up, as they should, and the numbers even out, Pittsburgh is slightly better. But Tomlin made a good point. Uh, I wrote about this for the column, too, for the Trib, is that no one is more, basically said no one is more predictable than Jacksonville. You know how they're going to play every game. He didn't use those words, but you know how they're going to play and every game. And that's on both sides of the ball. Right. Like he, You know they're going to beat you because they're going to force turnovers, they're going to sack you, they're going to run the ball well, and if Bortles protects the ball, then they've got a good chance. And uh, so, like, like you said, I asked him directly about that. Did anything they do surprise you? And he said no. In a previous answer, he kind of mentioned, I got the impression that a guy like Campbell is better in person than he looks on film even, or at least they thought that going in. So maybe the actual quality of the defense surprised them a touch going into that game one. But since then, so much of it is on tape, and you just played it, you know how good it is. So I don't think there's going to be any like Belichick Petri dish kind of thing here where, oh, we saw you do this in the first game, now we're going to do the opposite in the second game.
Quick note on the national final last night. Uh, Nick Saban, the Alabama coach, pulled a quarterback that was 24-2 and and won the national title with a true freshman coming off the bench to throw a touchdown pass in overtime. Is that balls or is it genius? It's genius now, um, and it took balls to do it. I will say this, though. You know what? If he doesn't throw that ball on second down for the touchdown, we're talking a lot about how he threw that stupid pick to three receivers who were blocking, and he took that dumbass sack on the play right before it. Right. You know, so for as great as he was, and he was great to lead the comeback, he also had some pitfalls along the way that made him look a lot like Jalen Hurts and some of the things that Alabama fans get mad at for the starter. By the same token, I think he has a livelier arm than Jalen Hurts. And I give Saban credit for having a plan B. I think he, he knew he might have to do this. I think he knew all year he might have to do this at some point because if you look at the game log for that this Tio kid, mm-hmm. the, the freshman quarterback, he played a lot. It was always in mop-up roles, but he was out there throwing the ball and getting a feel for the game as a freshman, which uh, I think was invaluable when he had to come in last night. I also think that Saban making that move, you know, yanking the, the 24-2 and quarterback for the freshman, you can do that when you've already won five national championships. And the other thing about last night that I walked away thinking was, when was the last time Georgia came up clutching anything? Sid Bream. Well, like I said, it shows open. The Falcons blew the Super Bowl, and now Georgia blew the national championship. I thought Georgia was victimized by bad officiating almost all night. And we talk about that seemingly after every big football game, Tim. Is football officiating so bad at both pro and college? That it's actually detracting from the credibility of the game. To a degree, yeah, yes, I do. I think that's a fair way to say it. I think there are more often times than not people walking away second guessing calls than they are their own teams. And the fun part, which is the X's and O's, and that's too bad. I tweeted about that last night, Mark, for all the people who have been mad at NFL instant replay or even college instant replay at times this year, but mainly the pros. People saying, "Bring back the human element." Isn't Steiger big? Bring back the human element, guy. Yes. The human element is the one that missed those false starts. The human element is what missed those face masks. Right, it's the, not replay. That's not replay. Like the, 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 no, no, the, the officials are so bad in every way you can be bad on every call you can make. The small ones, the big ones, all the calls. And I think the first step they need to take at all levels of football, get rid of the old fat bastards, bring in young guys who can keep up with the play. And let me give you this idea, and can too. And see better, literally see better. Yep, I'm with you there. And let me give you this one, too, because I brought this up for Touchdown Wire at USA Today. My belief is that if people are mad at instant replay, one way to quell that is to go back to a little bit of a former system, which is don't automatically review everything in the last two minutes, turnovers, and touchdowns. Because honestly, most of these calls that have made us so mad in recent weeks, Jesse James, Kelvin Benjamin, uh, even Jalen Ramsey at the game at end of the game the other day, I don't think the coaches on the opposing sideline the super genius, Mark Madden. It's a rare chance for you to have a brush with greatness. Make the most of it. Hey, Mark, big fan, big fan. Say, here's another great name from the past. The X at 105.9. As I mentioned uh, with Tim Benz a moment ago, the officiating quandary reared its head uh, during the national championship game. Georgia was victimized by a lot of nickel-dime calls, five-yard calls, and the Bulldogs had an 80-yard touchdown pass in the third quarter, and the refs called some obscure penalty that didn't negate the touchdown, and it looked like maybe he stepped out, and all the refs looked 80 years old. The touchdown stood, but 
you held your breath and not in a good way. Uh, overall, the refereeing was subpar and chaotic. Uh, by the way, uh, I was ahead of the curve debating college football overtime a few days ago. I like it because it's totally fair. And what about it last night wasn't incredibly exciting. Even Georgia, they fluffed their lines. They had to kick a 50-something yard field goal. And the kicker who looks like one of the Hanson brothers, his aim was true. And then the sack followed by a 41-yard touchdown pass to win the game for Alabama. Definitely a worthwhile night of watching football. No Quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. That Hurts kid that got pulled, the quarterback from Alabama, he was 24-2 before the game. And boy, he handled being pulled well. Did some interviews after. Celebrated the national championship even though his heart had to be breaking. What a class kid and a big leaguer. That's a kid that deserves praise. More so than some dink from the Swedish junior hockey team that threw his silver medal into the crowd and got praised as a competitor. Give me that Hertz kid over that Swede any old day. Actually, kid from Alabama, there was one who was in the class act. We'll talk about that a a bit later. In a nutshell, he punched a Georgia player. Then he punched his own coach. Not Saban, but an assistant. And they let him stay in the game. Obladee, I got an article on the Penguins website about the burgeoning partnership between Sid and Sprong. That's a a line currently, Sid Sprong and Dominic Simon. I like Sprong. He's going to shoot. He makes that clear. No matter who he's out there with, Sprong is going to shoot. And in the article, Sid talks very candidly about what he looks for in a line mate. Specifically. Basically, it's two phrases. Four words total. Speed. Give and go. So check that out at penguins.nhl.com. I finally got an interview in Sid Donda with Science. I think you hear that when he appears on this program. If you ask him who his favorite line mate ever was, which is what people would ask him doing a story about Sid's new line mates, right? Hit hem and ha. Well, they all have qualities. Then hit name like 15 guys. But if you let things be anonymous and say, okay, exactly what do you look for in a line mate? He told me. It was very specific. It's good stuff. Like I said, check it out at the Penguins website. In just 30 seconds, very rarely can you say anybody is the greatest of all time at anything. Ric Flair is that in wrestling. Mario Lemieux is that in hockey. And somebody else just joined the club. 1059X.